Podcasts aren't the future of radio. They're the present. You are about to listen to a ministry-approved podcast. For more great audio entertainment, visit ministryofpodcasts.com. And now, your feature presentation. My name is Bob Hobbs. I'm a former detective with the Toronto Police Department. I've been asked by Paul, the book guy, to assess Under the Dome by Stephen King. Although I haven't read this book, I've seen the size of it. It is of sufficient size and weight that if dropped from, from a good height would probably kill someone. Guy.com slash audible and get a free book just for signing up for a free trial. Ah, Paul the Book Guy. Hello, constant readers. I'm Paul the Book Guy. Paul the Book Guy. I'm Greg the Book Guy. Greg Ott. I'm Grant Mazzy. No, I'm kidding. I'm Chris the Book Guy. Chris Jager. And we're back for another hour of books, audiobooks, audio dramas, and podcasts. Last week, Chris, uh, you recommended Pontypool. We've been the doing Canadian this movie, movie of the week thing. And <laughs> yeah. uh, last week for me, I, I suggested Pontypool. Do you guys, you enjoy it, Paul? I, en- I did enjoy it. Uh, words do have meaning and, and words do matter. And there was a lot of uh, Quebec separatism in there. It was, it was, a, it was a fun uh, watch. I really appreciated uh, Stephen McHattie's performance as Grant Mazzy, the down-and-out, washed-up DJ who's now broadcasting <laughs> yes. from a church basement in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> Ontario. Well done. And, and I know we've been going back and forth with these movies, but I hear that uh, Greg has one for us this yeah, week. Yeah, I, I pulled from the archives what is determined to be the uh, Citizen Kane of bad movies. It's called The Room by Tommy Wiseau. And you've seen it. And I've seen this from beginning to end. And I'm starting to watch it again because it is just it is it has layers and layers of um, shiza. <laughs> it does. It gets worse every time. I saw five minutes of it, Greg, and it does seem like it was the uh, the script was written by uh, someone in grade five, with only a modicum of an understanding of human relationships. Yeah, the the amount of times that somebody walks into a room and there's someone plainly sitting there, and they'll say something walking into the room. Like, I didn't hit her. I didn't. Bull-. And then, oh, hi, Mark. It just makes it happens time and time again where this monologue is going on inside the character's head and they'll walk into a room and then just they'll brighten up. Oh, hi. Well, I'll have to discover how bad this actually well, Chris, is. Chris, if you're in, week. I'm in. All right, we'll do it. Let's do it. I sat through Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. We'll do the room. I'm sorry I didn't get the Pontypool <laughs> for you, Chris. You didn't, no one has to watch anything. No, I, I, you know what? This is a book podcast, not a movie podcast. So we should right. We should carry on with the business at hand. And we are going to move on to um, our first book, which is uh, Carte Blanche, the newest James Bond novel by the newest James Bond author, Jeffrey Deaver. Fiction. 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 Now, um, I know that I got to read this one over the week. I had to pull myself away from Clash of Kings. Damn you, George R. R. Martin. 
You're not and, quite at the battle scene yet, are you, Paul? No, I'm not. I was so close, and then I, I had to pull myself away. You had to force yourself. I know, I know. Now, and I know Greg didn't have time this week to, to read, and, and we're going to discuss that later, the ways that we read or listen to audiobooks, how we digest books in general. And I can understand, Greg, that on the average week, I have more time for audiobooks than for paper uh, hardcovers. Right. And, and Book Mountain is still significantly large. I am going through the... Uh, the Stieg Larsson books, and so unfortunately that one came just at just at, as I'm in the middle of uh, Girl with Girl Who Played with Fire. Yes. So, what do so, you think, Paul? Um, you know what? Uh, I can critique this one to death, but I got to say, just to start off, James Bond is back. Classic elements of. I mean, I read all the books as a kid, like as a very young child. Before I was actually ready to read James Bond books, I probably picked them up and learned too much about. Uh, guns blowing things up, sex, fast cars, right. etc. It, you know, it changes you as a child. Reading this book, I was trying to compare it to the original Ian Fleming stuff. Uh, I think it's fair to make the comparison. You know, being a spy in the modern world, it just ain't the same as being a spy in the 60s. Yes, there was a lot of uh, British references. Jeffrey Deaver did keep it very British. Very, It was very British. Bond. What I'm making reference to here is the technology. There's a lot oh. of competition now in, in spy movies as well, or spy books, because I mean, you can't, you've got to compete with Bourne, you've got to compete with a, a lot of other mainstay characters. It's hard. It's what else? See, I'm thinking Bourne. Yeah. That's it. I really, I'm really wondering if the if the spy is a dying genre because of the the the, tech, the, the technology. Uh, I, I still say if if uh, spy novels was a card game, uh, if you have seven Bournes, one James Bond trumps all the Bournes. He is still the king of spy novels, and I think Deaver brings him back to the way, like you're just saying, to classic Bond. The classic elements were there. We have a very, very creepy bad dude. He's got a, a very creepy, weird right-hand man. Yes. Uh, there's, you know, some sort of vague sexual enslavement involved with our arch bad guy. Uh, <laughs> there's a diabolical plan. I mean, all the classic elements. The one thing that I actually kind of missed, uh, James Bond characteristically like destroys stuff. Like, usually his majesty's uh, well, property. Well, that, that goes back to the whole title of the novel. I mean, he when he's in London, he well, does he not do have time, carte though. blanche. Yeah, but anywhere in the world, he'll, right. he'll destroy something. But there are mentions that where he gets his grey card when he's... Uh, you know, in London, he can't blow up, you know, Buckingham Palace to get to the bad guy. True, he's got to hold it down a bit. He's not uh, He's not free and loose and free and clear in London. I really only... recommend this one, Greg, if you have a chance. Fully intending on getting to it uh, it, soon. It is a, it's soon. a fun read. Uh, there's a, a couple things that he did. He did have eventually uh, a martini shaken, not stirred, but Deaver's nice enough to add in some dialogue where he explains why. You can't stick too closely. Why he well, he explains why he has it shaken, not stirred. The introduction of oxygen to the to the vodka and all that. Well done. But he does have his Canadian uh, Canada Club. Canada, Canada Club. Club. I got one further notion to bring up, and this sort of applies to fiction in general. When we read it, our heroes, our favorite heroes, our best heroes, are flawed. Are yes. they? Are they Indiana Jones or corrupted nowadays? No flawed. There's 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 something vulnerable about them, and this was where I thought the. the uh, the James Bond in this novel sort of fell down a bit. He was too perfect, too overly prepared. He, he was, and uh, the, the treatment of the Bond girls, we'll call them, in the novel, and it was a big departure from the movies, but staying closer to the Bond of the original books. Very much so, yeah. But the Bond in the movies has no problem with sleeping with seven women and not worried about their feelings and whatnot, or his feelings. But this one, he was thinking about how sleeping with this woman would affect her future and his future and and he was very 
It's just different from the movies. I think he went right back to the Ian Fleming Fleming books. Well, going to the movies, and of course I haven't read the book, but I'm going to... I'm going to discount that and say that the most recent uh, Casino Royale with Daniel Craig, he did fall in love with the uh, Bond girl, and and oh. most of what he did in that movie was for revenge. But again, that that book was closer to the Ian Fleming than the even the original Sean Connery Casino Royale. Disagree. Right. And so, Disagree. so it brought it back. It brought brought him back to a point where the the Bond girl was not your Roger Moore sort of octopusy sort of thing, and and it brought those characters in into the. The Bond movies speak to their own age. So the current Daniel Craig uh, Bond is speaking to our current filmmaking time, and I think that the character darker. Kind the, of like the, well, I think the character is suffering by trying to make the too complex. Uh, like you know, he's, they're trying to make him like a Batman type character. In in the, in, in the what was the one in the, the Bolivian desert? That was uh, Quantum of Solace. That's the one. So. The Bond character is evolving in the films uh, to be a more complex sort of interpersonal dark character who's discovering his own, uh, you know, destiny. When in the Ian Fleming series, he was just a dude who looked after uh, the Queen's Empire. Right. I think uh, these later novels and movies are more of a reboot. Yes. The Bond in this novel is, is just turned 30. Yes. So he, he's a little bit younger. Uh, it is kind of a re- reboot at this point. It's much more of a traditional Ian Fleming Bond than the ones that I think we've seen in the movies lately. I, I give it two thumbs up, five stars. Uh, it was a fun read. It, it was, was definitely a fun, fun read. read. I definitely recommend it. If you're a James Bond fan, you are going to enjoy this. And uh, for those of you who want to listen to the book rather than read it in the hardcover the way I did, uh, here's a clip from Audible. If thousands of lives are at risk, the Irishman and Noah can't be operating alone. They might even be pretty low in the food chain. All we know for sure is that there was a meeting at Noah's office. Nothing ever suggested he was in charge of the whole operation. And the Irishman? He's a trigger man. Certainly knows his craft, but basically he's muscle. I think we need to identify them and keep them in play until we get more answers. Osborne Smith was nodding agreeably. Ah, but you're not familiar with my background, James. My curriculum vitae. The smile and the smarminess vanished. I cut my teeth grilling prisoners in Northern Ireland and Belmarsh, the infamous so-called terrorist's prison in London. I've sunned myself in Cuba, too, he continued. Guantanamo. Yes, indeed. People end up talking to me, James. After I've been going at them for a few days, they'll hand me the address where their brother's hiding, won't they? Or their son or daughter. Oh, people talk when I ask them, ever so politely. Bond wasn't giving up. And if you're interested in listening to that James Bond novel on Audible, you can get it free just by going to paulthebookguy.com slash audible and signing up for a free account. Last week, we discussed the Spider-Man character being licensed to Sony, and that was the reason why he wouldn't be in the upcoming Avengers movie, and we had uh, several emails come in. and uh, Nerds. Nerds, okay. But no, no, no. We, let's not... Uh, hey, people were passionate enough about this to feedback. email in. Hey, we love, we love that feedback. Too. I and, said it affectionately. Um, and they, were, uh, they corrected us. Uh, and then I, can, I went and I consulted the Marvel Encyclopedia. That's an awful heavy book you carry in there, Greg. It's a massive hardcover book that I borrowed from my nephew. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm enjoying going through this. It is a fantastic read. 
uh, basically goes through the entire Marvel universe, all of the characters, some of the char- some characters that people hardly recognize, goes through all of the different world wars and and different universes that they've done. I was flipping through it. It is a great. It's kind of book. I, you know what? It's kind of big to keep on the back of the toilet, but I could see that being a bathroom Bible. You're loading in the bathroom Bible, Bible drop in there, aren't Definitely. you? Please don't tell my nephew I brought his book in the toilet. <laughs> so, what? Basically, I know you were skeptical when I first brought this in, Paul, that you didn't think that they'd have all the information in here. But I mean, you've gone through it now. You can see it. This is this is well well-researched, and uh, I'd like to make an apology. We did get that one wrong. Spider-Man was definitely not in the original incarnation of the Avengers. He became an Avenger much, much later. And this is the reason we're never going to review a Star Trek book, because the amount of mail we got on that, can you imagine if we did a Star (laughs) Trek book and got Data's name wrong or called him Data? There'd be no way to get it perfect, so we'll we'll avoid the email crush. (laughs) Keep the servers up. Server is up, Captain. So thank you very much for your input. Uh, keep the emails coming in. If you if you guys have any comments, questions, or you want to correct us on something, you can go to paulthebookguy.com and click on the Contact Us tab. You can leave an email, uh, voice message, or contact us via that way. I'm glad you mentioned that, Greg, because we did get one voicemail through paulthebookguy.com slash voicemail last week from uh, Rhino the Bearded, uh, one of, uh, of No Agenda fame. And uh, here's the clip. And the morning, Paul, the book guy and crew, Rhino the Bearded here. Just dropping you a quick voicemail to give you some book recommendations. First off, love the show. I loved how you guys covered both regular print books and the audiobooks. Because I know for me, I have a lot more time to listen to audiobooks than I have to sit and read real books. Um, I wanted to give a quick couple quick recommendations for a sci-fi trilogy. Actually, it's six books I love. Um... Peter of Hamilton's The Night Dawn's Night's Dawn trilogy, excellent series and really in depth and really a b- fully built out well universe. Um, second, I wanted to recommend a, mo- a book that I'd love to see made into a movie because I just think it could be cool as hell. It's actually Mer Lafferty's The Afterlife series. Um, basically, it's a story of two kids that go that die in a car wreck and go to heaven. And that's book one, heaven. And, well, all hell breaks loose. And there's wars between the gods and the end of the world. And all kinds of crazy stuff like that. So that's a definitely recommend. And finally, I want to recommend One Day in Gitmo Nation by Scott McKenzie. It is actually the book I am currently reading to be my first audiobook. So um, I want to recommend that. And so you can listen and give me some feedback on how I'm doing and where I need to work on things and where I don't. So you can find that at itm.im slash rtb. Um, that, you'll find it in a lot of other short podcasts I do there. And you can check that out. And I'd love to hear some feedback, being that this is the first reading I've ever done. And any advice anybody could give me on making it better, I'd love to hear it too. So y'all, just want to say hello. Great show. Uh, Paul, you're doing a great job. And in the morning, everyone. Thank you very much, Rhino. We'll, we're going to take your book recommendations into consideration and put them on uh, at the 
you know, bottom of Book Mountain, which is growing uh, crazily. Rhino was actually on our Twitter account, and he was wondering how, he said, how did I end up on your Twitter account? It's like a cascade, because as soon as you get on the Twitter account, other people start putting you on the follow Friday and and retweeting your name. And next thing you know, you got 600 new followers that you didn't have last week. But uh, we we appreciate all your comments uh, to our Twitter accounts, Paul the Book Guy, Chris the Book Guy, Greg the Book Guy. Uh, give us a shout, follow us, we'll follow you back, and if you send us a message on Twitter, we will respond. But the best way to get your book recommendations and uh, comments into Paul the Book Guy podcast is to go to paulthebookguy.com slash voicemail, and if you're on a PC or Mac, uh, the, the only uh, software you need is called Audacity, A-U-D-A-C-I-T-Y, it's free, and if you install it on your PC or Mac, you can record a little voicemail and upload it to us through there. In addition to the Audacity, you're going to have to, if you want to export it to MP3, you have to download a little piece of code called LAME for Windows. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I have it's very win- easy. It's, there uh, there's go. good instructions, but you have to download that little DLL code. And, uh, and for Mac first, as well. For Mac as well. Yeah, ah. you have to, and then you're going to have to point your Audacity okay. to yes. that DLL. It's going to search for it the first time, but it's, it's okay. relatively painless. So, so it's, it's not relatively foolproof, but it, it, it is uh, simple to do. Greg? Uh, absolutely, I did it today. And if you're again. on Mac, the easiest way, to, if, if you've paid the $30 and you've gotten the uh, iLife suite, uh, I would recommend GarageBand is the easiest way to do it. Uh, click the little red circle, speak into your microphone, and when you're done, do file export as MP3 or M4A or any other small format and uh, upload it through paulthebookguy.com slash voicemail. We'd love to hear your book recommendations. Book News. Paul, Greg, the uh, Bulwer-Lytton Fiction Contest awarded their Bulwer-Lytton Fiction Prize this week. And, of course, you're... I, 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 right I can tell by the, uh, by the looks on your faces. The Bulwer-Lytton Fiction Prize. Since 1982, the English Department at the San Jose University has sponsored a contest, uh, a whimsical literary competition that challenges entrants to compose the opening sentence to the worst of all possible novels. Okay. <laughs> okay. So... Uh, the winner this year, I'm sure you're dying to know, Sue Forby from uh, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And this is the sentence. Cheryl's mind turned like the veins of a wind-powered turbine, chopping her sparrow-like thoughts into bloody pieces that fell onto a growing pile of forgotten memories. <laughs> <laughs> okay, these are not... That was like the definition of verbal diarrhea. The most contrived, <laughs> worst... No, see, that's... But that was the winner, and my, to me, that wasn't even the best. As one. the worst, that was the worst. These are not. I have to say too that these are not actual novels. These are the best of the these worst. These are just lines that could start the worst possible so novel. So she didn't okay. actually write a book. Okay. She did not actually write a book. She only composed the first sentence and submitted it to the contest. Well, I got a couple other uh, winners here for you. Um, this was the runner-up for the grand prize. Okay. Uh, as I stood among the ransacked ruin that had been my home, surveying the aftermath of the senseless horrors and atrocities that had been perpetrated on my family and everything I hold dear, I swore to myself that no matter where I had to go, no matter what I had to do or endure, I would find the man who did this. And when I did, when I did, oh, there would be words. <laughs> there would be words. There would be words. <laughs> there would be words. <laughs> that was the runner-up. <laughs> this is... I challenge any author out there to use those two first lines and make a good novel. Oh, man. I don't think it's possible. Oh, wow. It's not that possible. That should be the secondary okay, you guys, You guys want the ones for the winner for vile puns? Vile puns. Vile puns. Hit us. Here it comes. 
Uh, Detective Kodiak plucked a single hair from the bearskin rug and at once understood the grisly nature of the crime. It had been a ferocious act, a real honey, the sort of thing that could polarize a community. So he padded quietly out the back to avoid a cub reporter waiting in the den. No. Do, do these lines come with a Zing. fondue set? <laughs> come up with some forks oh, and a boy, fondue set. Come on. I got, I got one more. Right. You guys, this was actually a dishonorable mention, and I challenge you guys to, uh, to actually get this image out of your mind. After I've read re- the sentence. Am I going to After- require brain bleach here? <laughs> You're going to require brain bleach. Brain bleach, sorry. Here it comes. Ready? This was the dishonorable mention. Latrina, knowing he must live, let her hot, wet tongue slide slowly over <laughs> Gladiator's injured ear. The taste reminded her of the late June flavor of a snow chain that had been removed from a tire and left to rust on the garage floor without being rinsed off. <laughs> what the... <laughs> Where she goes from there, I know. Uh, it is just I, the whole time you're you're reading those. I'm sitting there thinking, the best opening line I've ever heard. You want to read this book? You actually no, want to? Re- no, no, no. The, the best one that I've ever heard. Thank goodness I just finished the whole series. Was the man in black fled across the desert, and the gunslinger followed. And the gunslinger followed. But I, I challenge any author out there take any of these winning. Uh, lines that Chris just recited. Absolutely. Make a good book out of it. I'll shake your hand. So, Bulwer-Lytton. This is the Bulwer-Lytton contest. The reason why it's called Bulwer-Lytton, Bulwer-Lytton is famous for, it was a dark and stormy night. The rain fell in torrents, except at occasional intervals when it was checked by a violent gust of wind which swept up the streets for, it is in London that our scene lies, rattling along the housetops and fiercely agitating the scantily the scanty flame of the lamps that struggled against the darkness. So... Now, we're all familiar with just the first portion of that. It was a dark and It was a dark and stormy night. It's a very and, and famous we would, line. And we would think that that by itself is good. Right. Read the rest of the Read sentence. Read the rest of the, <laughs> of the opening. And yes. Ed, yeah, that does end with a semicolon. <laughs> I've got uh, this uh, Edward, uh, Edward George Bulwer-Lytton, believe it or not, is actually famous for uh, The Pen is Mightier Than the Sword. Oh, nice. Wow. Yes, the, the Great Unwashed and the Almighty Dollar. So the, the man could turn a phrase. Well, there you uh, go. I mean, Dark and Stormy Night is certainly embedded in culture, but boy, he could sure write a howler of a sentence. So uh, this, today's uh, our cocktails, gentlemen. These are uh, Dark and Stormy Nights uh, in oh. honor of the Bulwer Lytton oh, Brides. That's why we're drinking these things. Uh, we are, yes, it's it's quite things. gingery. It's, <laughs> ginger it's beer, got a bite. Ginger beer and dark rum. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Cheers to the Bulwer Lytton. Fantasy. I'd like to review Storm Rage, a novel by Richard A. Karnak. In the World of Warcraft series... Could you uh, bring me up to speed on what the World of Warcraft series is, Greg? Been there, done that. It is a time vampire. So the World of Warcraft is basically a video game that uh, is produced by Blizzard. It's a massive 800-pound gorilla in the uh, genre of massively multiplayer online role-playing game. And they write books. And there are books supporting the lore. It is Fiction. there's not so many non-fiction dragons. I guess it's, if it's a video game, it's fiction. Yes. yes. Okay. So let's go... Well, I mean, it could be a how-to manual, but okay, fine. It's fiction. Let's go with the publisher's summary. When the world of Azeroth was young, the godlike titans brought order to it by reshaping its lands and seas. Throughout their great work, they followed a magnificent design for what they envisioned Azeroth would become. Although the titans departed Azeroth long ago, the design endures to this day. It is known as the Emerald Dream a lush and savagely primal vision of the world of Warcraft. The story t- basically takes place on the world of Azeroth and uh, inside of this Emerald Dream, which we can kind of say in a nutshell is the 
blueprint for Azeroth. So they, these titans, they Azeroth built, being the main world. Azeroth being the main world that uh, players or people would uh, be working on, yeah, in, in, in the world of Warcraft. So basically, uh, it's the uh, it's a reset switch. Inside of this reset switch, there's something called the, the Emerald Nightmare. And what's happening now is the druids of Azeroth are discovering the Emerald Nightmare is becoming larger inside of the Emerald Dream. And it is also leaking out into the actual world of Azeroth. And it's starting to corrupt people. It's starting to uh, give them nightmares to the point where they are becoming uh, incapacitated in certain ways. Some some are dying. Some are becoming nightmare walkers. Basically, it's kind of formulaic. It's you've got your band of ragtag uh, heroes, who some of whom are great warriors, some of whom don't really belong there. You've got a cartographer who has mystical powers that you didn't know about. And uh, of no, course, no, no. You've... Chris is looking befuddled. No, wait, wait, wait. This wait. is all whirling. We're talking I have fantasy. A, I have a genuine. I'm not taking the piss and answer me true. Does this novel have appeal for someone who is not familiar with the world of Warcraft? Yeah, I'm going to say no. You... I'm going to say no, and I'll tell you why. I, I would recommend this to anybody who's playing the world of Warcraft because this book is very well researched. Richard A. Karnak brings in a lot of uh, the characters that anybody who plays the world of Warcraft will have seen in, in some of the dungeons. And right. it's it's it brings some familiarity. It makes it readable for those people. So you're saying you need a background, uh, a background for in this World book of Warcraft. Particular. A background in World of Warcraft would definitely help for this book. Uh, Chris, I wouldn't recommend this book for you because for you this is going to be tedious, uh, a little bit plotting, and and there's a point in time. I was out, I was out mixing cocktails. I'm yeah. sorry, I missed most of that. <laughs> yeah, but there is a point. There is a point in time where you sit there in the book and you say, "What? Well, why? If he could, it was almost like Lord of the Rings for me. It's like, well, wait, wait a second. If he could do that, why didn't he do just do that at the beginning? Why didn't he just drop the ring in in the st- fly the thing over, drop the ring? There was that kind of point in there. Right. And I think if you don't play World of Warcraft, you'd come to that conclusion a little bit earlier. On a side note, I just wanted to say that I did listen to this. It was about 17 hours. Um, that's a that's a rather large book, and I read and for a discussion later on, I I listened to this at regular speed. <laughs> we'll talk okay, about we'll another talk, podcast. We keep teasing. We're <laughs> going to talk about this, but I listened to this one at regular speed, and I found that the narrator. This was narrated by Richard Ferrone. I found that sometimes his mispronunciation of some of the classic uh, World of oh, Warcraft okay. uh, places and characters took me out of the story. So he wasn't familiar with the proper no. World of Warcraft pronunciation. Yeah, he words, was. He right? mispronounced, that, that's got to take you out of the story. He yeah. mispronounced Darnassus and Teldrassil right. and t- things like that. There, there are some other ones that he mispronounced. And it did kind of, instead of staying in the book, which is kind of nice. It's off-putting. Yeah. It, it does. It just kind of makes you open your eyes and go, what? Give you zoinks. So, and I also found his reading to be a little bit bland. So, as a whole, I would recommend this as a decent read for World of Warcraft fans. Someone who's playing the game would probably like it. As a fantasy novel by itself, I'd probably give this one a pass. Hello, I'm David Milnes, and I wrote the dark comedy, The Ghost of Neil Diamond, which is not about Neil Diamond at all, but a Neil Diamond impersonator with his back against the Great Wall of China. Paul Alves reviewed my novel here in January. There are now seven reviewers like Paul, from Toronto to Hong Kong, from New York to Dublin, who have written between them more than 4,700 words in praise of this book. So I'd like to send you a copy wherever you are in the world, because I'm so confident you'll enjoy it too. No obligations, no strings or tricks. I have 50 to give away.
please let me know if you'd like a copy at whattradition.com. All one word, two T's in the middle, whattradition.com. That's my pitch. Thank you so much for listening, and I'd love to hear from you. On Sunday, September 11th at Memorial Park in Port Credit, Ontario, we'll be attending the Southside Shuffle Festival, where we will be recording our All Southern and Blues episode. We'll be set up right by the Mississippi Queen Foods Catfish Shack, so please come on down and say hello. Hi, I'm Scott Johnson, host of the Instance Podcast, and you're listening to Paul the Book Guy. Now, I know you guys, uh, we all got a copy of Three Scoops is a Blast, this uh, short story book from Alec Carrick. I keep saying Alex because my name, uh, my middle name is Alex, and it's pronounced Alex, but Alex is pronounced Alec for some reason, the next. Did not know that. The, the previous book, uh, the initial book of short stories is called Two Scoops is Just Right, and uh, I've done a review on this one on the site before, and uh, he is a fellow Twitter user member, and he's also a member of the site. And here's a description from Amazon. This book contains more than just stories about the family. Some entries are dappled impressions of modern life. Some are comedy bits with the odd gem of a punchline. Others are lighter than air and rise up like whimsy. Others still have a slightly more serious intent with surprising twists. These funny short original stories first appeared on his website. And normally people, when I do a recommendation, I always try to give you a method of figuring out if you would like this book. And here is, this is so easy. Go to www.alexcarrick.com and I'll spell that. A-L-E-X-C-A-R-R-I-C-K.com. Go check out his blog. And if you like his stories, a lot of them which turn up uh, his blog posts become short, little short stories. If you like the vibe and, and the stories that he has there, you're probably going to enjoy the book. Now, he's been a leading economist in North American construction industry for over 30 years. And in early 2008, he was asked by his employer to put together an economics blog. How boring does that sound, guys? Come on. <laughs> economics blogging is uh, really hot. So he, he approached this with a great deal of trepidation, worrying about whether he would have enough material or if he could do it justice. Now, I, I love show sto- short stories, but uh, when I don't have a good chunk of time to read a fiction novel, uh, I, I like short stories. I think every constant reader should have at least one book of short stories in their briefcase or knapsack or where, gentlemen? This bathroom is, Bible. Is definitely That's bathroom right. Bible. Bathroom Bible <laughs> or sitting on your john. Now, if you only have five minutes, that's the kind of thing you want. Instant gratification, quick, short story. But I also love reading blogs, Chris. And in Alex's case, uh, these short... You read the economics blog, Paul? (laughs) No, I don't. I don't. But but Alex's blog has morphed into more of a short story blog. You get lost and and buried. Sometimes in blogs, uh, the archives, you get lost. You'll never find the gems. But uh, Alex has taken all the gems, the short stories from his blog, and compiled them into this short story list. And I actually, for those of you who might think you might want to enjoy this book, here is uh, one of the short stories picked by Harlan Zink, who is coming up later in the podcast, uh, reading one of those short stories. Revenge of the Beaster Bunny You could tell these two had been at it, off and on, for years. The sparks were so intense, and the language was so extreme. Accusations were lobbed back and forth, and concussive blasts figuratively shook the firmament. It was the dead of night, but the heat of anger made it seem bright as day. Verbal shots were taken with no logical lead-ins. They were now arguing by rote. 
The same things had been said before, but that didn't alter the impact. She was spitting mad, and he was hopping with fury. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me back up a little. For we bystanders, the day started innocently enough. Our six-year-old daughter came into the living room after breakfast to show me her latest loose tooth. There it stood, wiggly and awkward, right in the front of her mouth on the lower right. With her index finger, Tammy showed me how she could bend it to almost a ninety-degree angle. I get queasy at times like this, and employ brusque humor to hide my unease. I find it's best to distract attention from my loss of color and sudden sweats. "'Time to get the pliers,' I said. This was an old joke that always brought a shriek of outrage and mock fear. I have a special-duty instrument about a foot long with an enormous jaw. I wave around on such occasions. "'No, Daddy, stay away!' and she ran to her mother. But this offered little sanctuary. Donna recognized action must be taken, and five minutes later there was an impressive gap in Tammy's mouth and a promise of rewards to come later that night. Did I mention these events occurred on a Saturday morning, the day before Easter? Little did we anticipate the trouble that was inevitable due to an unfortunate coincidence of events. Maybe you can foresee the problem. Certainly, we were remiss in not spotting what was sure to happen. We should have tried to avoid it. Actually, the beginnings of this disaster had been set in motion about five years earlier, when Tammy was only a year old. On that Easter Sunday, our two boys, Tom and Ted, and my wife Donna, came up with the idea of holding a contest to see who could draw the most imaginative picture of the Easter Bunny and his basket of goodies. I joined in as well, figuring I would compensate for my lack of artistic talent by sticking a cigar in the rabbit's mouth to get a laugh or two. But no one was prepared for what Ted came up with. The countenance on his Easter bunny combined a frown and a scowl and a beetled brow that was deeply disturbing. Scary is the only way to describe it. He was also packing a machine gun and two ammo belts across his chest. Forget about his usual mandate, spreading goodwill and dispensing candy. He was on a take-no-prisoners mission. There's no denying it, Ted's Easter Bunny was a monster. Not wishing to probe too deeply into the psychology that had produced this aberration, we simply hung all the pictures on the fridge and tried to move on. But there have been some lingering side effects from what has come to be known in our house as the Beaster Bunny picture. It can't be a coincidence that ever since then, Easter morning pickings in the Carrick household have been slim. We look for chocolate, but somebody is obviously holding a grudge. The real Easter Bunny must have seen his likeness those several years ago and been less than flattered. Now it's cracked eggs with a funny sulfur smell we find behind the couch and under the cushions. So returning to the present, this is how I imagine events transpired. The Easter Bunny, after a hard night's work, finally showed up at our house and remembered the insult. This put him in a bad mood to begin with. His appetite for revenge had only grown stronger with age. Then the Tooth Fairy appeared a short time later, looking for Tammy's incisor. The Tooth Fairy can't restrain herself. She has to berate the Easter Bunny for distributing candy to kids, 
Doesn't he know what this does to enamel? He's heard this before, and he's had enough. The people in this house don't think well of him anyway. They go at it, wand and paw, in our kitchen. Everybody is awakened. I'd like to say this was resolved in a civilized manner, that we all sat down and talked it through, but I'm afraid things aren't always that easy. World views can sometimes be too far apart. The acrimony continued and then spilled over, hippity-hoppity style, into the street. Our dog and cat had to chase the two combatants out of the neighborhood. Who knows if we'll ever see either of them again? In the meantime, Tammy was left disappointed, with no cash to show for her loss, and the rest of us were deprived of a good night's sleep. By the way, our children are no longer allowed anywhere near pencils, crayons, and drawing paper. And that was the short tale of the Beaster Bunny. And if you're interested in little short stories like that that involve his children, and Alex and Donna Carrick have uh, a couple of children, and, and a lot of the stories in this particular book uh, involve their kids. It's a lot of fun. If you go to, again, go to alexcarrick.com. If you like what he's got there, you will enjoy uh, Two Scoops is just right. And uh, coming up in a couple of episodes, we're going to be taking a look at Three Scoops is a Blast. Audio dramas. Now, one of the things that we're going to do for all you constant readers and uh, fans of audio dramas is every once in a while, we're going to drop a audio drama special into the Paul the Book Guy stream. So if you're already subscribed on iTunes, it'll just pop up in your iTunes window. And if you are a fan of audio dramas, just uh, download them to your PC or Mac and take a listen. And the man who is bringing a lot of these audio dramas to us is Harlan Zink. Uh, who is live on the air right now with us uh, from Spokane Valley, Washington. Hello, Harlan. Hello, Paul. It's a pleasure to be with you live and on the air. That's right. I'd like to introduce you to my co-hosts, uh, Greg Ott and Chris Jager. How are you doing? Hi, Harlan. This is Chris. We have free audio podcasts from you. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you both, and I'll be looking forward to you mailing me something free in the mail. I don't get enough these days. <laughs> Fantastic. And what do you have for us this week, Harlan? Well, this week we have an episode from a somewhat obscure series from 1947. It's called The Unexpected, and it was a little 15-minute dramatic show that was released to local stations uh, that basically told little tales of the unexpected activities happening to average people. And the hook of the series always was that it had a definite twist ending. You didn't expect. Right. So uh, we decided we would share one of those with your listeners today. One of the cool things about these little 15-minute or half-hour syndicated shows, syndicated being pre-recorded programs that were sent to local stations to play, is they often gave actors who were basically character performers or people you didn't see very often in the movies a chance to really expand their acting chops and play some pretty interesting roles. Uh, this particular one we're going to hear today from The Unexpected, it features Virginia Gregg, who was all over radio in the 1940s and 1950s, and was a uh, very close friend of Jack Webb. So if you were a longtime fan of Emergency or Dragnet or one of his other TV shows, nice. you frequently saw Virginia Gregg on that show. I actually looked her up, and uh, she was dating Clark Gable for a while. Yes, she was. <laughs> she a uh, busy lady, obviously. And, uh, he, uh, her most, actually, her most famous role in the movies was in Operation Petticoat with Cary Grant. She uh, played the uh, 
I think she was a nurse sergeant who helped uh, Arthur Kennedy repair a submarine pump with a brazier. <laughs> <And, laughs> it, it, it's a memorable scene. If you haven't seen it, clearly you need to look it up. Uh, but she did much more serious work in radio. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Well, let's take a listen to the clip. Virginia Gregg in... I'm alone tonight, alone in the wind and storm. I'm afraid, afraid that I'm going to meet the unexpected. The unexpected, a secret future, a hidden destiny waiting for you. Where, when, who knows? Tomorrow, today, an hour from now, perhaps in just a moment, you too will meet... The Unexpected. Before our story, here's a word from our announcer. Paul the Bookeye here, telling you to stay tuned to our podcast stream for more audio dramas like this. And now, one of America's outstanding radio actresses, Virginia Gregg, in Heard But Not Seen, a drama of the unexpected. Robert, what are you doing? Uh, just closing the windows, Aunt Mary. It's going to rain. Yes. I've felt a storm coming on all day. Come over here, Robert. Yes, ma'am. Where I can touch you. You've got your good flannel suit on. It's gray, isn't it? Yes, Aunt Mary, it's gray. You're going out again tonight. You won't leave me alone here in the house. Don't be silly, Aunt Mary. I'll only be away a couple of hours. All day long, I sit here waiting for the few moments when you'll come and talk to me. You don't know what it means to be old and helpless and blind. Blind? 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 Oh, blind? shut up, you stupid blind? bird. Please cover the parrot, Robert. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Look, Aunt Mary, I don't have to go into Willow Springs tonight. I'll stay home with you. No, no. Go ahead. I'd rather be alone with Polly than feel that I was keeping you from having a good time. Very well. Good night, Aunt Mary. Good night. Robert. Yes, ma'am? I think perhaps we should move into town. Why? Well, it's very lonesome out here. No neighbors. I don't like living so close to the asylum. Good night, Aunt Murray. Goodbye. Oh, Robert, by the way... He's gone. Left me here with only a parrot for company. Poor Polly. I don't know what I'd do if anything should ever happen to you. Now, where's my cane? Oh, yes. And just a minute, Polly, I'll uncover you. There. Now you'll be able to see me. And we'll listen to the radio together. Won't that be fun, Polly? Knob on the left. Yes, yes. This is the one. Here is a bulletin just received. Residents of the Willow Springs area are warned to be on the alert for a homicidal maniac who has escaped from the state institution for the criminally insane. Escaped? He's the notorious question mark killer, James Mark. Dark, heavy set, about six feet tall. Oh, no. Last seen, he was wearing blue denim shirt and trousers. This man is the confessed slayer of ten victims, Polly. each of which he strangled with a piece of cloth and 
cut a small question mark into their foreheads. Dangerous. Mark is a homicidal maniac and extremely dangerous. Murderer loose in the woods. Why, why, he might come here. He might see the light. I'd better turn it off. Yes, that's it. The switch is by the door. Well, that's done. What if... What if Robert did turn out the lights? Then I've turned them on again. The murderer could see the house. He'd be sure to see it. But I don't know. I don't know if the lights are off or on. I, I can't tell. Oh, what am I doing now, flashing the light? He's certain to see that. Why isn't Robert here? Why isn't somebody here? The girl, the girl, that's it. I'll telephone the girl. She'll come and stay with me. Number, please. Operator, get me 69J. Operator, what's wrong with this phone? Operator, 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 operator. It's no use. The telephone's dead. Dead, Now there's, there's nothing I can do but just sit here and wait. Can't telephone. I can't go for help. Just wait for Robert to come. Be quiet, Polly. Be quiet, Polly. Don't make a sound. He doesn't know we're here. He'll go away. He's got to go away. Anybody in there? Be quiet, Polly. Hey, anybody inside? Come on, open up. I know there's somebody there. I saw the lights flash. Don't try to hide from me. Open up. Who are you? I'm a guard from the asylum. We're hunting for an escape killer. Let me in. Oh, oh, that's different. Just a minute. Thank you. You live here all alone? No, I, my nephew stays with me. Where's he? Why, he had to go into town. Uh, it isn't safe for you to be here all alone tonight. There's a maniac in these woods. Yes, sir. I know. Say... You're acting awfully funny. What are you so afraid of? Nothing. No one. Why, I believe... I believe you're afraid of me. Why... Why would I be afraid of you? That beats me. Unless... Unless you think I'm that loony killer. <laughs> well, I'll be... You don't really think that, do you now? I don't know. I don't know. Look, I'm lady. I'm not sure. That guy, Mark, is tall and dark. I'm only five foot six and I've got red hair, can't you see? No, I can't. I'm blind. You're... Gee, lady, I'm awfully sorry I didn't know. You're... You're really a guard? I'm really a guard. Oh, Oh, thank heaven. I was so frightened. Well, I've got to be running along. Just had to be sure he wasn't hiding here. Good night, Take care of yourself. Officer! Officer, please stay. I'm afraid to be alone. I'm I'm afraid. I'd like to help you out, lady, but I can't. You'll be all right here. Nothing to worry about. But please, if you just good night. Good night. He's he's right, isn't he, Polly? We're safe. We're we're perfectly safe. Why they probably already caught the fellow by now. Got to get hold of myself. <laughs> <laughs>
can't go on like this. The wind must have come up, rattling the door. That's all it is. Just the wind. No, no, somebody is there. Can't be the wind. Somebody's shaking the door. Robert. He forgot his key. It's Bobby. It's my Bobby. Please, please make it be Bobby. <coughs> Bobby wouldn't break in, Polly. Who are you? What do you want? What is it? What do you want? Go away. Please, go away. I'm blind. Can't you tell I'm blind? I promise. I won't tell that you was here. I promise. You've torn down the curtain. Why are you doing that? You don't want to kill me. I'm just a harmless, blind old woman. What are you doing in that drawer? I haven't any money. What was that? Paper knife? No, no, I'll get away, I'll run. I've got to get away. Where's, where's my cane? You won't catch me. You're not going to kill me. The door, where's the door? Let go of me, let go of me. I don't want to die. I don't want... Your coat, it's not denim. Ray Joe said blue denim. Your coat's flannel, I can feel it. Yes. Yes, Aunt Mary. A gray flannel suit. Robert. Robert. It's Robert. What are you doing? Why are you trying to frighten me? Why did you break in? Why did you tear up the curtain? Because I'm going to kill you. No! The question mark killer will claim another victim. No one will suspect your heartbroken nephew. Let go! No. Let go! Yes! Don't touch me. Oh, Bobby. It won't Bobby, take please, long, Aunt Mary. Please. No. Oh, please don't. Please, Bobby. Bobby. Uh, Bobby. 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 Uh, you. Bobby. You think the story is over, don't you? But wait. Wait for... The Unexpected. But now, here again is our announcer. And now, Virginia Gregg, in the surprising conclusion of Heard But Not Seen, a drama of the unexpected. Hello, Warden. This is the guard. I'm at the Shelton place. Well, of course they got the phone line fixed. I'm talking, ain't I? Oh, it was Mark, all right. He strangled her with a piece of curtain and then used a paper knife on her forehead. Poor old blind woman. Strangled her parrot, too. No, no, she wasn't alone. Now, if she had been, I'd blame myself for not staying with her. But her nephew must have got back before it happened. Yeah, they found his body in the bedroom, murdered, just like his aunt. Yeah, poor boy, I guess he was trying to save her, and that's probably why he got it. They say Robert was a nice young fellow. Always took mighty good care of his aunt. Heard but not seen, a drama of the unexpected starred Virginia Gregg and featured Pat McGeehan, Inga Yolos, and Parker Cornell. 
The Unexpected is produced by Alvin C. Gershenson, written by Robert Libet and Frank Burt, and directed by Frank K. Danzig. And now, this is Hal Sawyer, inviting you to listen again soon, when another of your favorite motion picture stars meets... The Unexpected. How many episodes uh, are there in that series, Harlan? The Unexpected aired a total of 39 episodes, and we have the entire series available on our web- website at radioarchives.com. It's available in two five-CD sets or two five-hour digital downloads. Is the acting as hysterical in every episode? Uh, to a certain extent, yeah. It's interesting. As I mentioned before we heard the clip, shows like this gave actors who weren't otherwise stars a chance to really kind of shine. And so when you get somebody like Barry Sullivan or Lorraine Tuttle, or Jack Holt, or Steve Cochran, the chance to sort of uh, Stretch spread the their acting chops. Yes. They uh, <laughs> do a pretty good job of it, yeah. Now, a quick this question, one, Harlan. Uh, yeah. the, uh, these were all performed live, were they not on radio? These actually were done, these, are actually, these particular ones were pre-recorded for oh, syndication, okay. Okay. but they were done as if they were live. Right, Remember I was just wondering that? about the, the Foley artist, the guy who's doing all the footsteps and... Was that live in studio at that time? That's all live in studio. And, <laughs> and for the most part, with, with the exception of things like the occasional, like, you know, brake squeal on cars or birds singing in the background, almost all sound effects on radio were done absolutely live. I was going to ask you, do you ever yourself giggle about the amount of Foley and overacting that occurs in these uh, audio dramas? Uh, yeah, definitely. There's Part of the fun of some of the shows is the fact that they are a little over the top. Um... And you have to consider them in the context of their time, of course. But every so often, I, I'm reminded of the fact that, you know, uh, in entertainment generally, there is a wide range of material available. And at any given time, about 80 to 85% of it is going to be uh, not so hot. And about 15% is going to be memorable <laughs> right. and uh, last forever, you know. So the same with every movie isn't Casablanca. Uh, every radio show isn't The War of the Worlds, you know. There's certainly but something it, compelling about this stuff, though. Well, it's true. And what's funny about shows like this and what, what I'm reminded of is throughout the 50s and 60s on network television, you had shows like Alfred Hitchcock Presents or the GE mm-hmm. Theater or mm-hmm. these kind of anthology shows. They were very similar to these kind of programs. You gave a lot of work to a lot of starving actors, and you also provided a lot of eh, basic entertainment to a lot of people and encouraged them to buy a lot of products, which is, of course, then is now the main purpose of entertainment on television and radio. So, uh, now, now, Harlan, what other uh, properties do you have over at Radio Archive? I, I saw The Shadow, and uh, us being from Toronto, we, we are familiar with The Shadow from the uh, Theater, Theater of the Mind. Chum FM was after right. Dr. Demento. We discussed when, uh, this a couple when, episodes when ago. We were, when we were kids, Harlan, uh, one of the local radio stations would broadcast audio dramas uh, late on Sunday nights. And, oh, uh, yes. We would uh, you know, steal a radio and uh, stay up as late as we could. Uh, absolutely, yeah. That was after and, my bedtime. Doc. Absolutely. Yeah. And listen to these radio dramas. So it's, it's quite refreshing to, to hear them again and to, to know that you're putting them out uh, on, a, on a website for, uh, for people to pick up. And, and in fantastic quality. And a great well, point. And we really appreciate having them on the stream as well. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I will say it sounds like you, like me, couldn't get a date in those days. And was <laughs> I, was, uh, I was about eight years old. So. <laughs> Buzzing, Harlan. Buzzing. <laughs> it is. <laughs> you laugh, but uh, believe me, a lot of folks that are really into radio shows were in that situation. But uh, it, 
other we do our best to find the absolute best quality shows we can find, both in terms of content and particularly in terms of audio fidelity. And then we do these full-scale, detailed restorations using state-of-the-art equipment because there is a lot of radio shows available out there on the Internet and through CD sets, but relatively little of it is in decent, high fidelity. And so we think good or bad, right or wrong, if you like it or not, the only way to give a series or a particular show a real honest-to-God fair shake is to present it in the best quality possible. So that's kind of what distinguishes Radio Archives from any other company doing this, is the audio fidelity. Um, it gives you a chance to really decide if you like a show or not based upon the, the content, not upon whether you have noise or glitches or pops or scratches or buffling or that kind of thing. Uh, and we have, at this point, about 150, a little bit more than that, uh, compact disc collections and digital downloads available at RadioArchives.com. And they run the gamut, all the way from horror shows to westerns to dramas to comedies, kid shows, uh, all over the map. So um, it's a great way to uh, give a new medium you may never heard a try. And actually, I will say, too, here's, here's the plug, guys. If you go <laughs> to our website and sign up for a subscription to the email newsletter, you get a free digital download of an Adventures of Philip Marlowe CD. Oh, nice. So, uh, give that a shot, because Marlowe is really good on radio. He's tough as nails, and you wouldn't want to mess with him, and uh, it really was well done. So give that a shot. No no, no, no obligation, no cost <laughs> involved, no salesman will call, and um, it's very entertaining, so give it a look. Harlan, how do you relate your uh, these audio dramas to younger audiences? Are, do you find them to be accessible? Are, are you having difficulty getting uh, younger audiences, like in their 30s, 20s, to, to download these uh, productions? Uh, surprisingly not, because there is a tremendous need for good, solid audio entertainment out there. And as long as you think of these programs as being drama or entertainment and not as being something your grandpa would have listened to, uh, and you give them a fair shake... A lot of folks who are younger find them very entertaining. If you like Philip Marlowe novels, for example, I think you'll like the Philip Marlowe radio series. Uh, if you like old movies on Turner Classic Movies or The Late Late Show, you're bound to enjoy some of the radio dramatic programs because the same stars are in them. The, the problem comes when you have to fight your way through uh, some kind of inferior audio to, to see if you like them or not. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, uh... We're going to give it a fair shake, and uh, that was a great little uh, audio drama that you played for us, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll have a lot more of that on the stream. And we thank you very much, Harlan, for, for bringing this uh, kind of audio entertainment over to the Paul the Book Guy show. Well, it's my sincere pleasure. I hope to talk to you all again very soon, and uh, thanks for the chance to appear. We and thank you very much for all the audio you've been doing for our, for our show uh, as far as the readings and the, the voiceovers. Thank you so much. Yeah, those are excellent. Oh. It's my pleasure, and uh, I'll be sending a bill later on. Excellent, <laughs> excellent to chat with you, Harlan. Thank you very much. Send, send well, us likewise. the invoice, Harlan, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Okay, take care, friends. Bye-bye. I'm Paul the Book Guy. I'm Chris the Book Guy. I'm Greg the Book Guy. And we'll see you next week, same book time, same book channel. For a list of books and other items discussed on this podcast, go to paulthebookguy.com slash show Paul the Book Guy will return next week. Same book time, same book channel. No cup, no. Brock, no coffee, no trawee. Ah!